probably six, seven years into running Milk and Co. It's where the wheels started falling off with me personally and my energy levels and my enthusiasm and those sort of things where I had to go back to the drawing board and work out what can I do to make myself achieve the best on the personal level, on the professional level, on the creative levels. Hello, I'm Andrew May and this is the NAB Business Fit podcast where we talk to experts in a range of fields, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and learning lessons that can be applied to running a small business. We have conversations about how they have adapted to new ways of working and haven't we needed to do that and we share stories about navigating challenging times. Joining me today is a three-time Olympian turned entrepreneur and philanthropist. I often struggle with that word. Leaving his 17-year strong career as a world champion swimmer to start his own successful business from the ground up. He's won six Olympic medals, broken several world records and was named Athlete of the Year twice by the Australian Sports Institute. He's applied that world champion spirit to taking his skincare company, Milk & Co, global with over 30 products in 16 countries. He dedicates his free time to his three kids, to charity organisations like Brainwave and to motivating other people to achieve success. And if you look at his Instagram page, he donates a fair bit of that to enjoying life, training, fitness, family and fun. Michael Klim. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for the intro. You make me sound much better than I really am, I think. <laughs> we have a lot of people say that. Uh, you've got some pretty good accolades, so just sit back and, and you know, sort of soak it in. I think when I think of you, or when I think of you, there's three words that come to mind. It's competition, it's learning agility, and stamina. So I want to drill down into each of those. But before sure. we do, I'd like to get to know, or I like our our listeners to get to know the people, the the men and women that we're talking to. So first of all, looking back at 2020, uh, I know you've been living between Australia and Sydney Mm. and your family is or has been in Bali. Mm. So how would you sum up 2020? (laughs) I think very similar to most people. For me, 2020 has been a, a year where I've been trying to stay afloat, pardon the pun, because it's almost, you know, there's challenges that have arisen this year that I would never have foreseen. And um, from health, you know, from health challenges to obviously business challenges. Um, so, yeah, and that basically been displaced from family. So I think, uh, you know, this year I would sum up, a, you know, just literally head above water. I believe you've picked up one or two new hobbies or skills this year, one of them being music. Yeah, look, I, you know, my my partner's a producer and a DJ and I think, I've, you know, in this period I've certainly um, been exposed to a lot more of that and probably that and, you know, my love for the arts, which I used to do at school at a pretty high level, pretty much stopped while I was swimming and picked it up with the kids and it was something that we sort of did quite a lot together as a bit of a downtime and sort of picking up the screens and, yeah, so we did a bunch of watercolors, bit of straight, a bit of sketching. So uh, music and arts was something that we went to um, in this difficult time for sure. I'll pick up on the music first. What, what, what do you go to now? The discos <laughs> don't exist, right? I think I said that to my daughter and she said, oh, Dad, you're so embarrassing. Uh, look, my, I've, I grew up with disco because my parents being uh, Eastern European and we grew, we grew up in, in Bombay in India. So, you know, Boney M and ABBA and all those sort of things were something that I grew up with. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, I was a kid in, in the 90s when I, you know, like, you know, occasionally would sneak out to a club and listen to my techno and house music. So I think it's more sort of these days, you know, I still enjoy house and some new disco, but 
Um, yeah, much more lower, lower sort of tempo. It's an interesting background. So what's, what are your favorite bands? If we looked at your Spotify or your <laughs> Apple playlist, because you've yeah. got Polish parents, yeah. uh, you grew up in Bombay the first five years and you lived in Australia and you're a truly global citizen. Yeah. I, I'd be really interested if we went to your playlist, <laughs> we might have to do that. What would be the last five or 10 songs or albums played? Well, actually this morning I went to the gym and I was listening to Metallica, Give Me Fuel, Give Me Fire, Give, give Me Natural I Desire. So that was pretty, I get, I like, getting my motivation from those guys but yeah Foo Fighters Coldplay and Metallica probably would be in the top you know top a range five. there yeah, from exactly. uh, her <laughs> singing then, uh, uh, exactly. yellow to, to <laughs> ramming it out with Metallica exactly <laughs> now something I, I actually hadn't heard about your background in art but I understand as a, a kid you're a good drawer and you yeah Sounds like you made the decision to go in the pool. Not a bad one, looking back upon reflection. <laughs> but going back uh, when you were a kid, what, what was art to you or you know, what was your involvement with art? It was certainly um, something that was passed down in the family. My, my uncle was an architect. My grandfather was an architect. And I think there was certainly, I had a lot of, um, my uncles were great in music as well and, and, and also painting. My godfather was a famous Polish painter and um there was something certainly a part of my family that was very arty and there was another part that was more from my father's side um you know my dad was did a finished mba business international trade same with my sister so it was kind of split 50 50 and i must have got the arty side when it came to to the arts and and painting and drawing but um yeah so it's it, i sort of at school i used it as my year 11 and 12 subjects so i did the international baccalaureate at Wesley College and it was one of my high level subjects. So we had to do, you know, hundreds of sketches and paintings that were marked on. So, um, you know, and develop some good skills in the oil paintings and yeah, I sort of enjoy it. But unfortunately, um, yeah, there was a period in nearly 20 years where I didn't pick up a paintbrush. So I kind of regret that now. It's not uncommon. Uh, I'm hearing this a lot, not just through this series, Michael, but with a lot of the coaching I do and some of the corporate work, that when you talk to people about passionate pursuits, if you could do anything, the question is often, if you could do anything or during the week, when are you at your happiest? You know, most people say family or loved ones, or well, it might be music. Yeah. But I'm not surprised. It just impresses upon me now how many people say art or could be doing poetry. And then you go, okay, when did you last do that? I stopped. You know, mm. I got busy. Mm. I went to uni. I joined the Dolphins, uh, whatever people <laughs> did, and then come back. And it seems to be that that sort of next surge around yeah. 40 plus. A lot of people get back into those pursuits that they had as a young kid. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it became probably just prioritizing what's important. I think there was certainly a period in my 20s where or early, early teens, early 20s, I was just, you know, single-minded into, you know, my pursuit was obviously swimming and getting the best out of my body in that sense. And, um, and then after that, it was probably the same kind of mindset in business, you know, uh, succeed at all costs and probably neglected some self-care when it came to, and creativity being one of, you know, something really important in that. So I think in my, you know, in my peak of my career, I probably didn't neglect self-care and I probably burnt myself out and got injured. And, and same with, same with business. I think I got to a stage where, uh, probably six, seven years into running running Milk and Co, it's where, you know, the wheels started falling off with me personally and my energy levels and my enthusiasm and those sort of things where I had to go back to the drawing board and f work out what are the priorities, what can I do to make myself achieve the best, you know, on the personal level, on the professional level, on the creative level. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely some, you know, something that I've learned 
to kind of recalibrate now and, and, you know, bring back the things that I used to do as a kid because it was definitely a big part of my lifestyle and my upbringing. So there's not, yeah, it's been a pretty interesting journey. You, you uh, smile a lot when you talk about doing art, so it obviously brings you pleasure. So art and music. Now, let, let's park the creativity. I want to come back to that because I've yeah. looked at your labels and I want to ask, how does a you know, Polish background family, <laughs> lives in Bombay for five years, travels the world, an Aussie male swimmer named Clemmy yeah. then comes up with a skincare range, you know, it's sort of a little bit out of the ordinary career yeah. choice, but we'll, we'll come to that in a moment because yeah. I just want to dial in and we ask a lot of our guests this, Michael, but how do you start your day? Like, what do you do? Is there a set routine physically, a set routine psychologically? In fact, can mm. I drill down a bit deeper? How do you start your day now and what did it look like when you were swimming? Mm. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's completely different, but not completely different in a sense because I like to start my day with movement. So unless I um, – this morning, I, you know, first thing I did was go to the gym. So normally um, – I normally sort of scan my body in, while I'm in bed and, you know, normally you can tell if you're waking up, if you're already a little bit agitated or if you're, you know, if you've got aches and pains and, you know, so I think it just, it only takes a minute or two. So generally a, a quick scan and then, and then I sort of just, I think it's probably subliminal now, but you sort of remind yourself of the intent for the day and whatever you have to do. And if it's, you know, having a chat with you or if it's obviously knocking off a gym session and, you know, I'm picking up my pants from the airport later on, I like to sort of rip, you know, try and sort of, I have, even when with Milk and Co on a daily basis, I used to give my guys a, a to-do list of five things, you know, I wanted them to achieve those five things really, really well. And it's kind of the same with my day. If I can, and it's and and in that sense, you can always keep a pretty top line, and you know it's what you, what you have to achieve. And it's the same with you know getting out of bed. And I know some people do a bit of breathing exercises. I sort of just finished a quick meditation for twelve minutes before we jumped on this call. So yeah, movement, meditation, and then uh, yeah, a bit of work. I like it. And, and is your life really like your Instagram post? <laughs> Certainly not. Certainly not. There's, uh, yeah, I don't. I, look, I think it's look. It's not too far removed from it. I, I, I try and have a good balance of um, social life, a good balance of family life. Obviously, milk and coke consumes me on a daily basis, and um, probably you know the, my physical being where I am changes a little bit to where I was. But um, now, um, yeah, it's quite similar. So I, I try and appreciate the good things in life as well. Well, it seems like a really nice mix. And obviously, you've gone from looking at the pool for hours. So just to close yeah. that out, when you were swimming, what would a typical morning look like? How many hours? How many laps? What other stuff would you do? Yeah. And again, like I, we used to monitor ourselves very closely when we woke up in the morning and uh, as when we were training. So we'd record our heart rate. So our resting heart rate in bed um, it can indicate a lot of things. So if you're, if you're fit and, and no illnesses and things like that, you're, you're normally pretty stable. So, for, you know, like in could be in the 40s or um, – but if you're, you might be carrying a cold or might be run down, that can be elevated by five to up to ten beats in the morning. So you can we, – we try and sort of get an indication of how – what the, you know, and physical and, and nervous energies are doing in the morning before we embark on, you know, normally two swim sessions. So I'd get up around sort of uh, – between 5.30 and 6, we're in the water at 6.30 to 7, um, back in the gym at 11 to, uh, to around 12 and then straight into meals straight after those sessions. Um, siesta time was a big thing in sport and obviously recovery is just as important as the training itself. So 
massage or physio or taking care of the body um, and then back in the pool again from four to six um, and then uh, normally uh, yeah fall asleep at a dinner table or um, or reading a book or something <laughs> what's easier training to be a world-class athlete or running a global business absolutely I think you know being a professional athlete or an elite athlete I think in terms of um, managing a, you know, or juggling sort of variables. I think, you know, being a being an athlete is much simpler. I think life throws much more difficult curveballs and and different things. Probably, you know, from a personal level to a professional level, things that you can't control. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, I think it's for me. It's been luckily I've been able to navigate through it quite well, probably through the learnings and the support that I've had, but. Um, definitely life after sport's been more challenging. Uh, it was a set-up question. You know, I spent 15 <laughs> yeah. years in sport as well. And yeah. I, I missed the off-seasons, whatever team I was working with. You go, okay, yeah. ladies, okay, men, we'll see you at the end of the off-season. Uh, six <laughs> weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. So imagine that in the corporate world. Okay, let's close down for Christmas. Yeah. I'll see you back in February. We're going to have an off-season. You know, the industry keeps turning, yeah. which is one of the reasons why it's great to have you on because there's some lessons – and I know you're aware of some of them. Some of them might even be subconscious bubbling mm -hmm. away, but you run your business like you ran your body in the dolphin <laughs> swim team, right? Yeah. So a lot of the habits, the rituals, the routines is what set you up for business. But yeah. I just need to close uh, to your Instagram account because uh, <laughs> if you look at a, a weekly schedule, so again, at this stage, you're in Australia, about to mm -hmm. go back to Bali and reunite yeah. with the kids. You must yeah. be feeling pretty excited Looking about that. To that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, the longest I've been away, four months. So um, yeah, a couple more weeks of doing some work here and then heading off. And then in an average week in Bali, what, what's the fitness routine look like? Because you, you look like you're the advert for the old spice ad. You know, you're riding a horse, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> no, you surfing, a, you're sunbaking. Like mirror with you, actually. So you're, you're <laughs> we, could, we could be doing the same campaign. But I think it's, you know, I look at different dimensions of wellness and it's spiritual, physical, emotional, environmental. And I think, you know, like it's kind of this dial and each dial I sort of I try and probably, you know, improve on the things that I'm weak, weakest at. And, you know, like I think that I try and do more is meditation, which I haven't been doing probably as much of. And nutrition, it's something that it's a big focus for me right now because I'm going through rehab and things like that. For me, movement is probably the most important part. And, and generally it's in the water, but at the moment going through back rehab, I'm doing a lot of dryland stuff. So I think movement is the only non-negotiable in my lifestyle or my routine that happens, you know, almost daily. If I miss one day, it's probably Sunday. <laughs> but yeah. um, so that, and then I fit a lot of things around that. So, but it doesn't necessarily has to be super intensive. I still enjoy that every now and again, but right now I know where my body's at and I can't, I can't sustain that and I'll probably break down again. So um, and I build my sort of schedule around that, you know, the bit of that self-care stuff, if it's rest or if it's meditation or exercise. Um, and then just simple things, even Andrew, like for me, the, it's exercise, nutrition and meditation. So mindfulness. So it could be surfing, it could be swimming, it could be anything. So those, those three things I think can set anyone up for a pretty good lifestyle. You're living on brand is what I would put it. And a brand could be a buzzword when you hear a footballer say, I'm going to the Western Force for my brand. It's like <laughs> you're going there because you're going to be paid more money. But I see that you do live an active, healthy lifestyle. And it seems like you know work and life for you are not disparate things that you, mm. know, you put up there. It's obviously been part of your strategy or has that been part of your strategy? Look, I certainly don't 
I try and sort of schedule anything with my lifestyle. It's sort of, and especially the things that I share, I, you know, I think being genuine is, is so important these days, you know, especially with, you know, different people using the, this medium for their, you know, or different gains. So I think it's definitely an extension of me and, um, you know, but in saying that, I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of things that I could be doing better and it's, you know, there's a lot of things that I could improve on and um, so at different times in my life. So if it's if it's emotionally or if it's nutrition or whatever it might be, you know, even professionally, so productivity, et cetera. So I think um, I was sleep, you know, I went through a period um, recently where I, you know, just couldn't get my sleep right and, you know, and managed to get on top of it. And, you know, so it's kind of like a bit of a seesaw kind of uh, arrangement. Mm. When I was being provocative before and said you could be the modern day campaign for Old Spice and you said I have a similar look, I haven't told you this, but I was in Melbourne Airport last year, so it was pre-COVID when we were still yeah. all flying regularly. I'm at Melbourne Airport and I must have just gone the buzz cut as well and I, these two lovely Japanese girls came up and said, oh, I won't do the accent, I'll butcher it, but can you please give me an autograph? I went, why? And they just sort of started to imitate swimming. I went, no, 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 he's another guy, much fitter, better looking than me. And, and they said, no, 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 you're him. And the third time I said, no, no, that, that, uh, it's, my name's Andrew. Yeah, that, that's Michael Clem. They still didn't believe me. I almost got to the stage where I was going to go, uh, ladies, <laughs> enjoy life, Clemmy. But then someone else stepped in and said, no, no, he's definitely not Michael Clem. So I could have uh, got you in a bit of trouble. Oh, mate, as long as you can get something out of it, go for it. But, uh, yeah, but keep my <laughs> – Keep my name clean as long as you can do that. <laughs> well, I mentioned at the start agility and you've got really good learning agility and you must get this in interviews, you must get, you must get this in discussions as well. Mm. Oh, I didn't expect that where people mm. are surprised and I'm not surprised at knowing your background, knowing how you've applied it, but you do have a really good ability and I, I want to know, do you consciously work on this or is it just natural? But you seem to be able to learn something, unlearn something, relearn something, mm. keep adapting. Whereas sometimes yeah. people say, Michael, oh, mate, I've been swimming for 17 years. Let me tell you, young lady, young man, this is mm. what you do around mm. here. You are not like that at all. So mm. where, where does that come from? Look, the, to be honest, there was one, one instance and in, in my actually swimming career where um, I had a very rude awakening and, you know, like probably the biggest learning curve of my entire life where I went to the Atlanta Games, ranked number one in the world and with the expectation to come home with a gold medal. Um, but I, in, my, in my mind, I failed. I missed the final. And um, I, I learned so much in, that, in, in, I guess, in looking back at that swim and where I was mentally and physically and what I did. So I... I realized that I had to be, again, be a genuine athlete, genuine swimmer. So I needed to swim, find the best version of Michael rather than trying to emulate the likes of Alex Popov or being some, you know, like obviously I admired people like Gary Hall and Alex Popov, but I wanted to, to for me to be the best swimmer I could have been, I needed to, to find the, the things that make me tick. So, you know, obviously... I was became more resourceful, to be honest, Andrew. I started using all the things that are accessible to me with the AIS, for example, and work closely with the biomechanists and physiologists, and you know, develop my own unique style. Um, worked on the technology with the suits. Um, trained probably smarter than I ever have before. That 150 races in one calendar year. So there was probably, you know, sometimes you get. So a, just pop, that wasn't a mistake. 150 races in one calendar year. Yeah. There's not that many global races. <laughs> yeah. Well, I 
traveled all, all around the world from, you know, basically from a Lake Billy Griffin meet to Japan to the US. And, you know, I was racing nearly every second weekend. So it just made, made that, that, the, that was for my mindset really about getting up on the blocks. And when the whistle goes, I could have been anywhere, but that my approach to swimming that race was always the same. And, you know, most of the time it wasn't a world record or a personal best, but when I, when it did occasionally click, I, you know, in October of, of that year, I ended up breaking a world record in 100 fly and I moved on to having the best world championships I ever had with seven medals. So it's amazing. I, as an athlete back then, I did a pivot. <laughs> you know, I literally, I did, a, I did a pivot and changed everything. And sometimes in business where it's told not to change everything so quickly, but I did and, you know, I had to take that risk and, you know, it kind of set me on a different path and I'm the just, rest uh, history. I'm, I'm visualizing a swimming carnival at uh, Goulburn, Townsville, uh, Ballarat, and then yeah. Michael Klim rocks up in the 100-meter Absolutely. butterfly. And have you got any funny stories on that where people just went, what the – what are you doing here? You know, this is my event. How dare you come to Goulburn? Well, I was I was actually uh, well. There was it was at Lake Billy Griffin meet at the Institute of Sport, and they were they using our pool. And but because I was racing so often, I actually forgotten that I entered that meet. And uh, my coach, I was you know I was in bed, I fell asleep, I didn't set the alarm, uh, and my coach rings me. He's like, "Your event starts in an hour. You, you got to get your ass over here and warm up and get yourself ready." So. Um, it just proves that you know your your mind and your body. Once it's once you learn a skill and you repeat it often enough, you can do anything. So I got up on the blocks and I had, admittedly, I had a couple of Red Bulls to get me up. And then I got up on the blocks and broke the world record after waking up an hour an hour before. So it's um, yeah. So I had a couple of funny stories where I just got to the blocks um, and swam pretty well. Do you think it's because you were just so relaxed or was that a fluke? Because I, I think one of the challenges, if I was coaching you, I put on my coaching hat, I would have sat down and I know swimmers do this beautifully. You, you deconstruct what went well. We've had Kieran yeah. Perkins, the, the yeah. superfish on, on this podcast <laughs> no, as well. And Kieran spoke about that dolphin's principle and mm. he said it's something that he's taking into business that, you know, mm. what worked well, but automatically what, what can we work on? Mm. Can I, ma- I imagine your coach saying, okay, it worked well, but don't ever have that preparation <laughs> again. Did you have that chat? No, well, I, I actually, I knew that for me, the, re- the reason I did all so many races that I didn't want to spend too much time thinking about them you know I knew what my cues were in the race I knew what my I could I was pretty easily arousable and I could sort of get myself up and up and ready within sort of five to ten minutes so it was more about staying calm staying relaxed as you said and um, if you practice the right skills often enough they will come out in the race which um, you know that's what happened yeah I'm going to come on to skills in a moment but uh, just reflecting if you go back to Atlanta how do you think, and this is always hard to ask in mm. hindsight, right? Because it's always easy when an entrepreneur sold their business and created a unicorn. Oh, here's what I did. But there's so many people <laughs> that haven't. So, you know, as yeah, a frame, yeah. it's hard yeah. to say this. <laughs> if you'd won at Atlanta, do you think you would have had that learning agility? Do you think you would have maybe just gone, oh, I'm the man and, and set and forget and not really be doing what you're doing now? Again, it's a really, you know, it's a really trick, tricky question. But I don't think so because I would have, um, you know, kept swimming with bent arms and trying to emulate my training partner. And, um, in, you know, maybe even if I made the final or medal, you know, I don't think it probably would have given me that stimulus to, to make those changes. So, um, you know, I was lucky enough because of those changes to break a world record in 100 freestyle and 
push the envelope with underwater swimming and, you know, other, other things. So I think my mindset probably wouldn't have gone that far right, you know. So mm. I think, yeah, um, obviously it would have been great to have won. <laughs> Could have retired maybe, but uh, no, certainly would have made those changes. <laughs> so Sydney 2000, Athens 2004, launching skincare range in 2008. What, what, the, <laughs> like, and, and then, what was the evolution of that? It was, look, it, it came again and well, life just throws all these different curveballs and surprises at you. But I was approached by a couple skincare companies that wanted to endorse me and, and for me just to be an ambassador. I already had, had a deal with Braun for shaving my head and um, obviously I've always had a, a lot of exposed skin. So there was... Well, I was going to make the joke and I can. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Skincare companies would have a lot of real estate with you. <laughs> exactly. So that was, um, you know, but I thought, why are these, you know, these companies approaching me within a couple of months of each other? And um, so I just thought maybe instead of pushing someone else's brand, I'll create my own. And um, at the time I looked into with the limited information that I had into the market of men's grooming in Australia it was pretty small, but it was already growing. Um, you know, stores like Meyer and David Jones were starting to stock a lot of skincare brands that, um, you know, that were globally known, but then also you near know, pharmacies were starting to take, take on some skincare products, but there wasn't anything that was developed for Aussie guys by another Aussie male. So, um, that's, you know, I created three, I created a concept actually, just a presentation and took it to the buyers at Meyer, and, um, they bought the concept and then I, then I went, oh shit, now I've got to make it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it was a crash course in, in retail. That's for sure. And uh, when you catch up with your mates, I see on Instagram, you catch up with Thorpey, one of your swing buddies. So uh, when you know someone really well like him, do you say, oh, mate, I think you need to use this? <laughs> do you market to your friends I, I, subtly? I cannot market it to Thorpey. He's very astute when it comes to skincare products. So um, I'm not sure if mine are good enough for him at this stage. But uh, uh, but it, obviously, I've developed a lot of the products for active people, active Aussies. So, you know, products that are multifunctional and if you're, you know, training outdoors or swimming in chlorinated pools. So um, they're supposed to do more more than one function and minimize that time in the bathroom. So most guys are pretty open to to, uh, to using them. I think 20 years ago, an Aussie male coming out with a skincare range would have been crazy. <laughs> but the, like it is, you know, we are exposed to the sun. We're living longer. We're taking more interest in the way we look. Yeah. I think you've done a really good job of it's a it's a lifestyle brand yeah. yeah with your swimming and fitness and everything you do yeah but you've made it affordable yet elegant that's mm. hard right it's the, a, the it's marketing a, looks yeah and it's no surprise you've got an art background but, yeah. <laughs> it's a very tricky you know positioning of the peas you know we obviously wanted like when i launched the brand i wanted to be niche and i wanted to be in you know department stores and but um you know obviously i realized that you need to put the product where people will be comfortable in buying it so imagine you know we're very fortunate that we almost have 50 percent males buying the male products and 50 percent females so you got to imagine a guy walking through an aisle at Chemist Warehouse and being comfortable to stop there for a good 10, 15 seconds to see what else is on offer and pick up your product. So um, you can't. Im- I wouldn't imagine seeing that happening in Maya, for example, and that's why we we probably initially mm. failed in that space. So you know our prices were too high, packaging was nice, but it you know you just got to put it where guys are comfortable shopping for it. So there's a lot of learning curves in the. Um, in the entrepreneur space from pricing to cash flow to, you know, is, and 
I can't believe it's 12 years and we're still still afloat. Um, but um, yeah, it's been a pretty interesting journey. And you obviously get to express that artistic talent. So before you started picking up the pastels and paints with your kids, is it, it's a lot of your fingerprints, I'm assuming, on the the look, the products now, 30 products, 16 yeah. countries. Yeah, I think, you know, when we we launched the, the brand, even the logo, when you look at it, I you know, it's milk is clean backwards. And I think the connotation of milk is obviously clean and pure and white and but it does obviously spell my name <laughs> in reverse so um but we did struggle with that with the men's products you know guys has probably thought that was a little bit too feminine and a bit too neutral so we had to rebrand the uh, the milk by michael klim range to clean by michael klim so they they would get that local connection and they would realize that it's me behind the brand but then you know creating the women's offer and the baby offer i had to sort of um, I was lucky enough to understand baby products because I had three kids of my own. But, um, you know, trying to sort of make it accessible to, you know, all these various demographics was, uh, was pretty challenging. I, I knew it was clean backwards because I have a here to your layered row, Wachilaba, Ewana, Just showing off now. I have this really weird ability where I can speak backwards as quickly as I can speak forwards. It's a totally useless skill. Another story for another day. But You could be telling me anything. I could be, but if you played this back and did, if you did transcription, it would probably jumble it up. But you give me a word. Well, I don't know. Beautiful. L-U-F-I-T-E-A-U-B, Lufit Uaeb. It, like, oh, wow. it's, it's just a totally ridiculous skill. It's like, you know, if I <laughs> see a word, it's like an airport, you know, tick, 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 so you got That's London, not wow. Amsterdam, Madrid's mud. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> I, I said, Sergid, you didn't think I was going to clock some draw cake cap, did you? If I'm ever in a trivia night and I need to do something backwards, I'm calling you for sure. <laughs> I was on uh, Today's Show a number of years ago and I was there doing a segment. It was back when Carl and Lisa were on yeah. uh, and you were on there recently, I saw. And I was doing a segment on coffee and caffeine and there was this guy in there who was the world backwards champion. Wow. And, and we're in the green room. Take him down? Just, oh, it was a bizarre moment, Michael. We're sitting there and he said, so what are you here for? I said, I'm talking about caffeine. And he said, I said, what are you here for? He said, oh, I'm here for the world backwards. Uh, he said, I'm the world backwards speaking champion. I said, no way. I said, <laughs> I came up to draw KCAP. And we just had this dialogue backwards. And the producer came in and she said, what what, what was that? <laughs> and so I digress. It's got totally nothing to do with this interview. No, but look, that, that's certainly not a skill that I've got. <laughs> nothing no. as strange as that. But it, hasn't, it hasn't helped me in any part of life. <laughs> well, not that I know of. It's, uh, Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. Talk to me about learning agility in relation to COVID. I think it's, you know, I think being, um, oh, I, I think agile is obviously the, the word being nimble, you know, and being able to 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 use, I think what's what's accessible and and within within the right mindset too, you know. I think, it, um, you know, we've realised that very similar to you, that the challenges we were facing were, you know, enforced by you know external forces. So we had to work within those parameters. So I think you need to be agile within certain parameters. So I think for us, um, 
you know, we had to realize what we could do and where were the restrictions were, pun to pun. But, uh, you know, so for us definitely, you know, foot traffic was down, people going into stores down, um, but we could sort of get more eyeballs through different channels. So if it's overseas or if it's digital. So um, just, you know, it's I literally I actually, even to this day, basically every person in my in my business had to, became a salesperson. So I wanted everyone to do call calling at the end of every day for half an hour. And, you know, that mindset of, of, okay, I know this is your job, but for for now we're all selling. So it's, you know, just moving these sort of, um, and it it actually gave people a lot more insight into the brand and selling the product and appreciation for what we created. So I think that's one example. And, you know, obviously having a spend behind the digital campaigns and, Things that we normally probably wouldn't do as much, um, we had to do. Is that something you'll do moving forward? It's really interesting hearing that because, uh, <laughs> and, and I know when I was at KPMG, they had every single partner. I think maybe the CEO wasn't because it's such a big job running the firm. Yeah. But I know with a lot of consulting firms that they make sure all the senior leaders have at least an account. So even if they're yeah. overseeing finance or HR, and what it does is it keeps them in contact with the people. Absolutely. Is that something you would maybe introduce and keep going? It's, like, it's something that I actually used to do a lot more of. When we were, you know, we're, small, we're still a small business, but we had a CFO from Revlon, a Kiwi, and um, we had a few people that never really used to sell. They were probably, they were great at procurement and logistics, but sales wasn't their strength. But because we had a baby product and, you know, we used to exhibit at so many baby and pregnancy fairs. And that's how you get to know your, you know, you're not going to sell the product to you, to the mums to be or new mums, et cetera. So we literally, literally used to have a roster of everybody had to sell the product and, and be at the stand and represent the brand. So, um, and it's amazing how Kane, who was our CFO at the time, the appreciation he got for, you know, the, the product that he was writing the numbers down for, but also, you know, the, you know, what we can achieve and, and, and the people that are using the, the products, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we stopped that when we, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, but I think I might have to introduce it again. Bring it back, yeah. So you've been going for 12 years. Yeah. Is there a clear vision or are you just doing this? Do you want to be going for another 20 or 30 years? Is there a, a clear vision to get it to a certain level? Is there an exit strategy? Look, I, I, think, I, I think the one thing I learned <laughs> with running a business, that you need to run it almost like you could exit any day. I think you need to almost have... You know, you can't, people say, oh, I'm going to get my finances in order and then I'll exit and then I'll, or I'll build this distribution channel and then I'll exit. And, you know, I think it's, you almost need to run the business like you could show, you could basically, you know, show your, your documents, your, to any, any day at all. So I think, um, so for, for me, we've got some, there's always great things in the pipeline. If you ask any, any business that, you know, that small business, medium, large, there's always something on the horizon, but will it always come off? You're not sure. So, um, you know, I, we're at a very exciting stage where we've been sort of trying to sign off and, and a distribution agreement with Alibaba in, in China. And that's about to sort of kick off early next year. And, I would like to see that to come to fruition and see where that takes us. But um, 
I'm always pretty open. We've, you know, we've had a couple of different partners in our journey and I think strategic partners are very important and they can not only just add capital, but they can add, you know, skill and insight and experience and take you to the next level. Have you got a number if someone came knocking on your door or sending you a message to Instagram <laughs> after a horse ride, a surf, a kayak or a swim and said, look, Michael, uh, number zero, 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 and you just go, oh, you've got me, I'm out. <laughs> Absolutely. We've all got numbers, but I can't tell you what that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like you have one and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to move on, huh? I'm not going to chip away. I can't come no. back at that again and catch you with your guard down. No, no. <laughs> Nice segue into being competitive, huh? You don't take on the competitive person. <laughs> um, so competition has been the, a thread that's run through your whole life. When you go back to a young kid, were you the kid that had to win the marble game, that had to be on top of the spelling bee, or did that competitive fire really turn on when you started swimming? Definitely came on when I started swimming. I was quite an introvert kid, shy, you know, as we moved around the world and I was overweight probably until the age of 14 and my nickname was Lumpy and I used to be ridiculed for that. And so the thing, swimming was one thing that I was able to excel at from an early age and yeah, because English was my second language <laughs> for the majority of my life, you know, I, I struggled at school and, and a lot of things didn't come easily to me. So um, I wasn't, I, the only thing that I could probably, I wouldn't use the word show off at, but get recognition for was swimming. So, um, and I think as I improved and as I grew and, um, and got more experience and then even after school, um, you know, I think my personality changed because I got a lot of confidence from what swimming gave me. Mm. Who's lumpy now, huh? Do you, do you ever think? On <laughs> <laughs> uh, serious I, note, no, uh, do, you, do you ever think creep, back to creep. that? Well, look, it's funny because there's a few guys in the squad that I'm really good mates with still and they used, you know, like some of the, you know, initiation <laughs> things that we, we used to do, like they'd be probably be jailed right now if, if, I, if I spoke about them. But, you know, it probably made me much tougher, you know, and I was one of those annoying kids that used to tap people on the ankle, say, get out of my way, you know, I'm swimming past you. So it made me probably a little bit, definitely sort of I'm going to show you guys what I can actually do. Um, once I lose this fat. But <laughs> but uh, it was, yeah, I think it certainly made, it shaped me too high. Yeah, but it was, it was a serious question because a, a lot of times when kids are teased and, you know, kids can be cruel, mm. but that can often light a fire or it can be that real drive. And if mm. you add that some, to, to some talent, it mm. can get going. And then sometimes you don't even realise that that got me going because I'm now here and it's got momentum yeah. all by itself. Yeah. I, look, I think it probably was subconscious in a lot of way. I, people ask me now, like, what gave you the drive or the motivation and you sacrifice so much. And a lot of it now when I think about it, I don't remember making those decisions or those uh, or even to say I'm – you know, I never went to school camp, for example, because there was always a swimming competition on or, or a swimming camp or something like that. So those, I always had a very clear mind and, or vision in terms of what I wanted to do with my swimming. And, yeah, so I think it maybe was because of, you know, being prodded a little bit. But, um, but I knew what the opportunity was as well, I think, from an early age. And you said you still got some mates from the squad. So when <laughs> I give you a couple of names, what comes to mind for you, uh, Ian Thorpe? Oh, the greatest. <laughs> Was it that obvious from a, a young age when he joined? 
Yeah, we were just chatting the other day about when he swam in Perth for the 98 World Championships when he was 15, you know. I remember he, that. I remember where I was. I was in yeah. Hobart and I was having a, a – with my girlfriend at the time at Opossum Bay, her yeah. parents' holiday house and just watching this 15-year-old kid. Unbelievable, unbelievable. right? And he, and he, you know, beat another amazing athlete, Grant Hackett, in the 400 freestyle. Um, but then take him – from 98 and fast forward him to 2004 when he won that 200 freestyle in Athens, which was regarded the race of the century when Michael Phelps thought that he could take on, take on, you know, Ian Thorpe and Peter Van and Hugenman who won in Sydney wanted to defend the title where Ian in, you know, probably in, you know, I'm sure he'll say he should have probably won in Sydney that 200 and that, that with Grant Hackett, with everyone else in it, um, he came out victorious. So in my mind, you know, he's one of the best I've ever seen. That's Or he's the best I've ever seen. Grant Hackett? Well, I mean, his record speaks for itself. You know, I, I think he was, um, well, I know that he probably had the biggest lungs of anyone on the swimming team. That's for sure. He had, you know, seven plus litres or maybe even more nine litres or something crazy. Wow. So, uh, he's a big unit. I've seen him. Uh, yeah, like he's just a life. big he's chested massive. guy. And, um, you know, he was def- he was the hardest worker. Um, when it, Both, you know, having watched Ian and, and Grant train, he, he, was, he would take training as seriously as he would take competition, which made him yeah. – Made him, you know, you know, probably he surpassed Kieran Perkins, so made him a, a greatest distance swimmer ever. Natural segue, Kieran. <laughs> well, I think Kieran was my. Well, I remember when he was in the cover of Sports Illustrated, wearing this black cap and these black goggles with these long sort of black black cords and um, with this kind of orthodox style and. Um, you wouldn't believe it. When I made the team, one of the first people I got to room with was was Kieran Perkins. So it's like for me, you know, I remember watching him in Barcelona and taking on Sadovi and those those and the the nature of his swims, how he attack it, and you know, he wouldn't give anybody a chance even if they thought they had one. And I remember obviously '96 when he barely made the final, and and he we were all thought. Kieran Perkins was lost. He didn't have his, you know, his mojo. And then that when the gun went in lane eight, you know, for everyone, he was uh, he was back. So for me, um, I've got really fond memories of what I've seen from Kieran, and and be able to to call him a teammate as well has been very special. It was a ridiculous richness of talent, and then you throw in the <laughs> Susie Madam Butterfly as well. <laughs> Well, she's oh, – look, I, I love Susie because she, you know, she was Madame Butterfly, but obviously she won gold <laughs> in freestyle, you know. But uh, And and she's got a, she's got the, probably the most fighting spirit out of most swimmers that I've ever seen. You know, she doesn't say a lot, but when she's such a fighter and, um, you know, her record speaks for itself as well. Another hero in that era who I don't think has had the accolades is Patria Thomas. Mm. She's got amazing records. Yeah. Amazing. So her, her – um, I think her perseverance and, you know, it, you're talking about agility. She had probably more shoulder operations and injuries that, you know, <laughs> most swimmers have had in, in more than one lifetime. So um, the amount of times that she was uh, – what she was able to do um, swimming injured is, is phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. winning – I think she was, she was ba- barely able to lift her shoulder when she won her gold medals in Athens. So – um, she was fantastic. And I got to, you know, she was training with Ina Turetsky, which was my coach's wife, and I got to see her train. So she's a tough trainer and used to put her body through through a lot. 
You all do. And uh, <laughs> you put your bodies through a lot. 20 years ago, we've just recently had the 20-year reunion and I, it made me feel old because I can remember I just moved from Hobart to Sydney and, you know, you're there, Kathy's race. Uh, you can remember watching Grant swim, the, mm. the, the battle. Could Kieran get the third gold? You know, could Grant yeah. get his second? 20 years ago and you had a reunion with your <laughs> relay team recently and it yeah. looked like it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's – Bizarre that I think our 20-year anniversary got, um, you know, for us even, you know, was more special than the 10-year reunion. So um, I think we're all becoming a little bit more nostalgic. And, you know, I think, as you said, that that whole period in Australian sport was so special from not only the weather and the people and um, it was, you know, to this day regarded as the best Olympics ever. But I think for us as, a you know, just the relay team and the swimming team, it just that swim for us was obviously what you know entire careers were sort of you know tried to build up towards and you know it had everything the drama and we had you know obviously a very eclectic team from people with different sort of abilities and ages etc and um and yeah i think we were obviously the the underdogs and and true aussie spirit (laughs) all that sort of stuff we were able to pull out of you know a victory that we still talk to this day about it wasn't just that. You were fueled by the Americans who uh, yeah. we're going to yeah, quote. I'm sure you've – every interview. I, I almost wasn't going to go there, but because we're talking about it, Gary Hall Jr., we're going to smash them like guitars, and you up on the uh, platform after you'd won the race with the guitar. It's probably the most iconic shot of you. Yeah, look – I probably look. I'm glad that we did it because we're still talking about it to this day, and the, obviously the the relay's got its own kind of nickname. But um, it definitely cost me some a lot of nervous energy for the rest of that meet because I I wasn't able to kind of emulate that feeling or that freshness and that explosiveness again, and probably cost me a couple of things in my individual events. But um, uh, you know, it was just such an amazing sort of swim. And it's funny how sports at the time, you know, you know, Gary's comment sort of ignited this sort of um, war that the media created. But then, um, you know, he was the first one to congratulate us and and he's actually become a really good friend. I was, did a clinic with him last year in, in LA and, um, he, you know, he's been a great advocate for Australian swimming and, and swimming in general. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. I'm sure you have a laugh about it. Or I think you have the loudest laugh. Like, you know, <laughs> okay, he, he won he, he won enough gold medals and got his revenge a few times on us. So um, we yeah we just uh, celebrate quietly. <laughs> yeah, well, one thing Gary Hall Jr. has and you have in spades, not just in the pool but in business, is stamina, <laughs> and it's something that we all need now, Michael. And I've found, and that my team at Stride Stronger have found, it has been a really tough period. Yeah. getting through this, and a mm. lot of the messages you talk about, you know, waking up with a clear purpose. I love. That mm. it's neuroscience now shows yeah. you should wake up and have a daily mantra, but you know, you've yeah. just done it because that's what you do when you're swimming, mm. moving, meditation. What, what are some of the keys you think you've learned from swimming around stamina? Look, I think when, when, when it comes to a let, we'll look at a, a periodize, periodization in training or a, a block of block of work, and you've got a certain goal if you want to achieve a time and. You know, and it never goes in a straight line. So, and it's very similar in business. I just found um, that it's, it's you know, you wake up some days or it's even throughout the day, you know, there's, you're probably going to get more bad news on a daily basis than you're going to get good news. So I think what, and I think in, in swimming too, you, you know, you don't always feel great. There's probably 
three out of the 10 sessions that you're doing that you're feeling pretty good. So I think it's the, the ability to show up even when you're not feeling great. And you might have a bad day in the office, but, you know, the, like being able to, it's a fresh day, fresh start, show up. And, you know, that's when the positive things do happen. So mm. I found that um, it's resilience, you know, and, and, and the, I think those people that keep coming back and, you know, that the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, it's, you know, it just was, <laughs> it's constant. So I think, um, you know, anyone that's, you know, including yourself, you know, that it's when you're running a business, you have to keep fronting up day after day. So I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And you use the word skills a lot. And I really think a lot of the stuff you've learned in swimming and you had obviously fitness trainer, well, you have a coach, fitness trainer, nutritionist, psychologist, mm. so you get a lot of these skills. I think a lot of business owners just think, oh, I'll get to that. Really interesting before you said mm. that. You know, I'll just finish this, but you've got to be on top of the books all the time. But mm. I, I really like that mindset that you can train to manage your body better. You can train mm. to manage your, your state better. So if you mm. wake up and have a crappy day, it doesn't have to be a crappy week, absolutely. month, quarter, year, decade. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that, that time you spend on yourself, maybe makes you more, you know, effective and, you know, you absorb information better, you retain information better as well. And, you know, there is obviously when I, I think when I was in that, you know, that sweet spot of running the business, I could look at a spreadsheet and remember the numbers and I wouldn't, it wouldn't take me long, you know? So as long as I was doing the right self-care and even the conversations I was having with people and things, so you can become much more productive if you you, you know, it's not by doing more, it's by doing the right things at the right time. So I think that's that's been the key for me. And I think a bit of scar tissue, and I don't mean scar, or it could be related to that, but you, yeah. you, you've probably got a fair bit of scar tissue around shoulders and yeah. elbows and everything, especially after Sydney, you had multiple operations <laughs> to come back. So that's yeah. stamina. But I think scar tissue is, and you talk to to people at the moment, their 60s and 70s who've been through a lot, they'll mm. go, you know, this will pass. You know, we've been through a number of economic uncertainties, but I think for a business owner that's quite new, a millennial, or if someone's always had secure employment, then mm. they step out and they're self-employed. And the statistics show, Bill Lang from Small Business Australia was showing, it's not just all the millennials starting businesses. In fact, the average age for a lot of people is mid-40s. Yeah. So if those people haven't had that challenge before, it can feel, oh my, it's all-encompassing, it can whack you. I think yeah. when you've had a few ups and downs, the narrative, the story, it's easier to pick yourself up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's also a, a notion where you, if you're comfortable <laughs> for too long, something really bad is going to happen. So I always thought that if, if things were going too too smoothly for even a couple week period, there was I was always getting nervous because it was either we're going to get bad news or something bad was going to happen. So I think almost being on your toes and like using the word being agile. And I think, you know, that, and that's, you, you, if you, that bad news does happen, you do develop, uh, if you learn from it, that's when the scar tissue does form and you, you know, become stronger and better. Do you recruit based on some of these things? I, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of recruit people for who they are and I sort of, I, um, and I, I'm very much an advocate for a very, very sort of um, horizontal structure. And we, you know, it's, and, and I learned that from, again, I didn't have any tertiary education, but Speedo was one of my longest, um, sp you know, sponsors for years. And they used to, for all their staff members, it was all about living the brand. And, you know, the lifestyle with Speedo was, was from learn to swim to, elite swimming to lap swimmers, et cetera. So all the employees had to live the brand. So 
And and there was a period where I really tried to extend that to all my employees. And it, that doesn't mean do boot camps with me or, you know, or <laughs> whatever it might be. But it's sort of, um, I think, having a good balance, prioritizing, you know, having, you know, like I think everyone was chipping in, I think knowing that you could add value. So it was more about, um, you know, being, having that right mindset. So that's how I probably would employ people. Mm. I, I see a thread with you that's come out today and, and I, I wasn't even anticipating it, but I think you look at lessons in your life. So obviously your Polish background, you're very connected to that in your family. Yeah. You're a very family oriented person. Yeah. Living in Bombay made you a global citizen. I think you got a bit yeah. of a different view to you know, a lot of kids just growing up in Yas, Gleninus, Wagga and Dubbo. <laughs> like yours, Nothing Julie. wrong with that. Nothing, wrong, <laughs> Nothing with that. wrong with that to all my friends from Yas, Gleninus, Wagga and Dubbo. And then I was matured or cultured in Hobart, Tasmania. Hobart, wow. Yeah. Then the lessons from swimming. Yeah. And then I know you sat down at the end of your swimming career and, and I want to get those out of you in a moment. There were four or five lessons you took yeah. from the dolphins. Yeah. And then from the operations and then the art coming into that and then the mm. agility. Did, do you realize that in yourself? That's sort of like you're taking all these little things and it's building, building, building. Yeah, I think I had to, you know, I'd, because I, you know, certainly wasn't book smart and I didn't get that sort of um, typical entrepreneurial kind of education. So I had to learn, and a lot of it is just personality and, you know, like and and making the, the best decision that you can with what you've been given. So I... Um, yeah, I definitely fall back on that. And when it comes to, to business, I, I see there is huge colorations from my swimming career. What excites you the most? Swimming? Or when you were, it's hard now, right? Because yeah, if I say what excites you now. I, but... still look, I still enjoy it because for me, it's a skill. We're talking about skill. It's a skill that I have for life. And it's a skill that you know, serves a different purpose for me. I know that even though I've got a Bluetooth kind of player, I don't wear it in the water because you know, I just love hearing the, the bubbles and I love hearing my hands slapping the water. And, I, you know, I, I love hearing, you know, just be in that, being in that medium. So I think, um, you know, for me now, swimming is in, in a bit of a release and a meditative kind of practice. So whereas before I think I'd, it still was, but because I was doing so much of it, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such an important mm. part of my life. A better question would have been, <laughs> yeah. were you more passionate about achieving your peak performance in swimming or are you more passionate about being the best possible business in the skincare range and going to Alibaba and mm. becoming Dr. Frickett Evil? <laughs> I think there was – I think I was my – my mindset was definitely more – I wouldn't say passionate but I was – win it kind of not at all costs almost, you know. Um, and, you know, I was so single-minded when it came to sport and, um, yeah, so I think whereas you realise that what, the, what are the things that are important to me now, um, you know, I didn't have to worry about kids back then or relationships and the business and, you know, even, even I wouldn't see family that much. So it was all about my whole life revolved around achieving in the pool and getting the most out of myself in the pool. Now it's, you know, there are other things that are important to me. I want to still be, you know, the best partner that I can be, the best dad and still be, you know, you know, a good boss and, um, and then as a person as well. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, in hindsight, you know, I've got, I feel I've got much more wisdom now than what I did when I was swimming. 
And also it's learning to turn it off, isn't it? Because I think some business owners, some athletes as well, it's go, 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 go. And you learn yeah. after a while, it's go, rest, recover, restore, bounce yeah. back. It, yeah. it's, it's hard to learn that. And then, look, I, I was definitely one that trained, probably overtrained, and those things caught up with me, not even while I was still swimming and probably the reason why I ended my career because I just couldn't recover from my uh, my injuries. But then, you know, 10, 15 years on, you know, I'm still battling from back, back problems and, um, you know, I had an ankle fusion last year. So if you, you know, I think... Uh, I probably went too hard and and didn't listen to my body at times, and I probably even after after the transition into life after sport. So, yeah, I think um, pretty again hindsight. That's a wonderful thing, Michael. <laughs> a wonderful thing. Another wonderful thing is learning from other people, especially specific to leadership. And we were in a yeah. talk recently together, and you didn't throw me you impressed me when you said when you finished swimming you actually sat down and wrote uh, i'm assuming in a pen or maybe yeah. more computer literate <laughs> than I am, but pen. <laughs> it's pen and uh you, you probably drew and you actually wrote down the lessons you'd picked up from the dolphins can you share that with our listeners yeah absolutely so i think the the most important one for me is definitely people and team so i think there was there was a common element in amongst the dolphins and the, and the swim team that when it, when you look at values you know people talk about value driven businesses now you know and it's whereas the dolphins we never really you know assess that that's just was innate in a lot of us so um you know it's friendship fulfillment you know passion etc so i think people and then for me having that team so not just the swimmers but the people around the team so from coaches and support staff and masseuses etc everyone so i think that's something that i definitely carry, try to carry over to business and you know obviously having experts in all different fields and people with similar values and i think that's i think any organization it's i mean it's not it's <laughs> nothing new but it's the people that are in it um, the other thing is evolution and innovation. So, you know, when I had that hit that snag in 96 and um, if I stayed doing the same thing I was in 96, I probably wouldn't be talking to you now, as we, as you mentioned. So I think you have to innovate. So, and people had to innovate because of COVID this year or, you know, so I think innovation and evolution as a business, um, you know, I had to do. And also I did it as an athlete. The other one is probably knowledge, whereas um, I was a bit of a nerd when it came to swimming. I used to record every single session, stroke count, heart rates. I have got about eight black books in, at home that's got every session. So I think it's um, – you know, and now in business, I look at numbers and stats and um, probably some of the top-line stuff, but I think having knowledge about your own business – and other businesses um, gives you the ability to make better decisions. So, what drove that obsession on numbers? Because I can imagine <laughs> some swimmers, you, there'd be a spectrum, right? Some people mm. would want to know everything: resting heart rate, heart rate variability, yeah, you know, blood count, and some would just go, "When am I yeah, on?" Yeah, well, for example, Grant Hackett, he he wouldn't write down anything. You know, he would, you know, he would just get in the pool and and swim his heart out. Whereas you know, I probably, I wasn't as talented and physically gifted as some of those guys. So I, I needed to make smarter decisions in terms of my, my training and, 
you know, I was I used to produce a lot more lactic acid than some of other people, so I need to needed to focus on my recovery more than others, etc. So, and then when I did those 150 races, you know, I used to document every single race and every single split, and everything was stroke rate. Um, and it's yeah, I think I'm probably. Uh, Again, I'm not so obsessive nowadays, but um, that was... I was about to ask that because I I can imagine if you were in a meeting and said, hey, Claire, last week at 11.45 (laughs) a.m. you said this, you had a piccolo and you ate two ice (laughs) bones. Yeah, no, so that um, that part of me is kind of gone, but um, I still, you know, I can still recall some of those um, sessions and sets that I did. So it's, yeah, it was a big part of it because you sort of go, that was building those pieces for that ultimate race that we had. It's actually, when you look at it, it's a per- perfect apprenticeship for going into business, especially being in swimming at that time because you were winning. You had a great culture. You know, Don yeah. Talbot had turned it around from yeah. what I understand. He was firm but fair. Yeah. Uh, and Don recently passed away. And the, the tributes that came out, you could just see he, he impacted, he changed so many lives. Mm. So to have that as a lesson then take it into business – but not everyone in your era has gone into business. So mm-hmm. you've obviously done something different. And, and I don't want you to comment on the individual things, but it's been in the in the press, right? Grant's had a number of challenges. Ian has struggled and openly talked about mental health. Uh, Jeff Hugel. So a number of people from that period haven't been able to put those lessons mm. into practice straight away. They, they are now. It's good to see them putting mm. it back. Yeah. Why are you different or what's different about you? How could you? Oh, look, I, I definitely had my challenges. I think it, we all have our challenges. I think there is a shift in identity and it could be an athlete, it could be anyone. I think in career change, you know, starting families, you know, finding, being, becoming financially stable, you know, there's a lot. If you, most people go through these challenges in everyday life as well. And I just say, um, you know, I think obviously a lot of it happens to us because it happens in the public eye and it is quite difficult. And obviously the variation of being, an, you know, an Olympic swimmer to then one day it cutting off and finding all that, that, and that like we were talking about before, that daily purpose was, you know, it's, it takes a long time to, to find that. It took me, you know, a few years to find it. So Some don't, um, Michael. Like yeah, some, exactly. Seriously, some spend decades and they yeah. never get the, the rush or the thrill back. Yeah, and it's, and it, and, and it's impossible to, to duplicate that. So you need to find something that's going to fill that void and, um, and having the right people in your life and someone that can, you know, motivate, motivate you with it, you know, to some kind of purpose and, um, cause you know, athletes are generally amazing people to employ because they're very driven, you know, they're, they're very, they learn quickly, as you said, uh, you know, they, they, they work generally pretty good, pretty well in the team. So there was, yeah, I think that's definitely been a, you know, been a, you know, tough, tough thing to do for my, most athletes, but I was, I was able to, you know, start planning with milk before I retired. I had other business interests with swim schools and property and, I had a great, you know, my family was really supportive and my dad's obviously business sort of skills came into play a little bit and great management. So I I feel that, you know, there was probably times where I, you know, wasn't handling it all that well, but um, I had enough things set up that, um, that I was able to transition okay into into the next life. I just want to rewind back <laughs> just to you, – you've transitioned well, very well. I think great athletes are really good to employ if they have one thing, learning agility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Phil War, the ex-Australian uh, Wallaby New yeah. South Wales rugby union legend, 
who's now in banking, and mm. he talks about that. You know, when he was playing, you, you, you go to a nightclub, they let you in, you don't line up. You know, you, you, it, mm. it happens. You know, <laughs> when you're a well-known player, you just yeah. you, you get a bit of a treated a bit differently. Yeah, he studied finance at Sydney Uni. He said then he went into banking, and then you've got these young kids. He said 23, 24, who are, are treating you with disdain. Yeah, you know, they don't care that you've got X caps or X Olympics. You know, yeah. they weren't the kids that really got off on on sport. They were the kids that were more the academics. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really important thing for anyone who transitions is to not go, "Hey, I won the Olympics. I'm a wallaby. I'm this. Now I'm going to be the business god." Yeah. That requires learning agility and a bit of humility as well. So yeah, you must absolutely. have been out of your comfort zone. Oh, for sure. I remember. I mean, even you know, I was I was going through some photos the other day, and I found. A, a little, I had a little a smart car with the Milk & Co logo on it and I used to deliver, you know, Milk & Co parcels to baby shops around Melbourne, you know. So I was literally the milkman back then. So it's sort of, uh, you know, I'd pack the boxes and drop it off too. So there's, you know, whereas obviously I'm fortunate enough now that I don't, don't have to do that, but it's you still have to do all the nitty-gritty, you know, when you start a business off, that's for sure. You look like you enjoy that though. You smile. Oh, I'm yeah. still the milkman. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Right? You order some products. And then this guy, hey, you look like the guy, you are him. Yeah, thanks. I think people used to laugh at me getting out of the smart car the most, but that, that was probably the most <laughs> humorous. Now, the only thing between you and seeing your parents the first time in months is me. So a couple of quick <laughs> questions and let's sure. wrap it up and thanks, go back mate. to those family roots. <laughs> is there a quote? Is there a poem? Is there a piece of art? Is there a passage of literature? Is there something that inspires you? Mm, that's it. It's so funny because it's like when it comes to these sort of things, different things inspire me at different, you know, times of my life. And um, there was one thing when I went to, I was about to go to Canberra and I said this actually yesterday to someone, uh, my coach, Gene Jackson in Melbourne, he goes, you're going to be great. But, um, and, and it's just, <laughs> I've said it a few times that it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. So, um, so I try and live by that a little bit. So that's, um, and you know, my family and friends are pretty, pretty, pretty open and telling me when it does. I like that. It's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Yeah. I've already asked you about what your figure is. Have you thought about it yet? Or do you want to, do you want to I know pass what the that? figure is, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> what does the future look like for you a few years down the track? What's life like? Are you still living between Bali and Australia? Oh, it's funny. I joke around that my 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 dream job would be to own a um, be a water sports attendant and on a deserted island, so I can um, just teach people how to do stand up paddle boarding and surfing and snorkeling. But um, and maybe run a little beach beach shack bar as well and sell margaritas. But I don't think that's going to happen with uh, with three kids at, at the age of nine, twelve, and fourteen, and heading into high school and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, I'm not sure. I sort of, I don't really have like in my mind, this is what's going to be. I never thought I'd be living full time in Bali and um, now being in Sydney as well. So I, you know, I don't, I'm again, that's probably what happened to me. I'm pretty adaptable. I'm a nomad. And as you said, I sort of make the most of what I can each year. (laughs) Nice. Now in wrapping up, is there a question you would like me to ask you or is there a (laughs) question you'd like to ask me? Um, yeah, I've got a question. I like. I know um, you are very good at sort of, some, you know, putting together what the keys were in in um, in my career in terms of you know obviously being you know global child and you know all those sort of things. What do you think? It's the uh, 
the things that I can improve on from a business mindset moving forward? First of all, I commend you on that question in this live, which will be an on-demand format. That shows you're bold, it shows you're comfortable, and it shows you're secure asking that. It also shows me saying those words, I'm buying time to try and work out how to ask you a question. <laughs> I need to underscore, I want to look at a little bit more stuff first to get the metrics. What can you do? From what I've seen, I think you're doing a lot. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I'd keep learning, keep growing. And I, I, I sometimes say this to elite athletes because I you know, was in sport for ages and worked in a lot of different sports. There's a challenge sometimes like attracts like. So you hang around the same mm. people and have mm. the same conversations. In mm. psychology, we call it groupthink. Yeah. I don't think you have that. But no. if there was anything, and again, I don't know your business well enough, but to, to at least finish with something because otherwise you go, what a dud interview. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just let me go, get out of here. Um, I'd be looking at a different mentor or someone to stretch you because I yeah. think you've got massive opportunity and potential. If you're talking to Alibaba, yeah. maybe get a mentor or someone who stretches you to lift your horizon yeah. and go even bigger. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough because I, I definitely had those people in my life probably five, six years ago. And, um, you know, I sort of rose to that challenge a little bit and being accountable and delivering on, on, on what I promised. <laughs> but then uh, it's sort of, you get you can rest on your laurels a little bit. So I think that's fair. <laughs> and just sustain, like yeah. keep doing what you're doing because, you know, success, uh, overnight success takes 20 years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if you're right. having fun, you're playing, it's part of your life, it's authentic, which it is, yeah. uh, it'll keep going. Now, you got to go pick up I your gotta parents. i got to go, exactly. Mum and Dad, I haven't seen them for a Yeah, go months, give so. them a massive <laughs> hug. And for people who want to connect with you, for men and women who want to buy your products <laughs> and glow and look younger and fresher, where should they go? Just head to milkandco.com.au or michaelklim1 on Instagram and you know we've got a bunch of stuff happening at the moment but uh, definitely milkandco.com.au you'll find it all there. <laughs> Thank you, it's been a pleasure today Michael. Thanks Andrew, yeah good fun Hey it's Andrew again and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.